0: Grant funding is vital for clinical and translational research. Harvard Catalyst's Translational Innovator provides funding for projects that are high risk, high reward, and that may be outside of a researcher's typical field. As part of the program, Translational Innovator also provides project management support. Hardeep Ranu, a project manager with Translational Innovator, meets with grant recipients regularly to discuss roadblocks that research teams may be facing and help connect them to resources. On today's episode, Hardeep talks about the Translational Innovator Program and why getting to know grant recipients is important for helping them to be successful. In the coming months, Think Research will feature interviews between Hardeep and Translational Innovator grant recipients, including previous guests Elena Aikawa and Georg Gerber, where they reflect on how support from Translational Innovator helped advance their research and career. So Hardeep, um, thank you for coming on uh, the show. Give us kind of an overview of what the Translational Innovator Grants are, like how much money it is and um, what the application cycle is like?
1: So typically we offer $50,000 per award or up to $50,000. And the application cycle, it varies. I would say at least once a year, we'll have an opportunity available for people. What also happens is the theme of these change. So We don't have an open call for pilots. We'll have it along a specific theme. So there's a microbiome set of awardees. Uh, We recently had a vision set of awardees. And earlier this year, we started a project, a group of awardees who are looking into environmental toxins. Upcoming, we'll be having uh, another pilot opportunity that's going to be around the five sensors, and it's, it's fairly broad, I, I would say. It isn't restricted to sort of biomedical research. It could be other areas. It could be, you know, walking aids or vision aids or that kind of thing.
0: You are a project manager at the Translational Innovator, which is part of Harvard Catalyst. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do at Translational Innovator.
1: What I do um, as a project manager in Translational Innovator is after projects are funded, I essentially meet with the investigators every four to six weeks to see how the projects are progressing, if there's anything I can do to help. And I think that's the most important part of what I do and then during that time we get the investigators together every four months to meet each other and to present to Catalyst leadership to see how their projects are progressing.
0: And so you spend a fair bit of time talking with researchers and kind of learning about their work and visiting their labs and you have a biology background? Or science background.
1: Yeah, I have a science background, yeah.
0: Yeah. So just talk a little bit about, you know, what your favorite part is about maybe working with the researchers and what you enjoy about that.
1: Yeah, it is most definitely one of, if not the favorite parts of my job. Uh, And it's because of being having the background in science and having grown up you know, being interested in science. To me, it's a way in which I get to learn about other people's research, where it fits into the context of, uh, you know, the, the greater world around them. And when I meet with the investigators, I like to get to know why they applied, you know, what else, are they doing in their lab? uh, And who else are they collaborating with? And I really like going and visiting their labs and going to where they are to get a sense of who they are as well. And I also, what I like is obviously pre-pandemic, I would go to, in going to their labs, I would get to know areas of um, the affiliates or the Cambridge campus I would get to go and visit those buildings that normally I would never have had a chance to to do so so I you know get to know the links between the affiliates that's something I really enjoy doing.
0: Mm. Do you feel like getting to know the researchers like on a more you know personal level does that help when they're having an issue that you, they need your help with? Um, does it help to have a closer relationship?
1: I think so. I think that in, in, in my view, in order to be able to help and show up to them in a way uh, that I'm supposed to, getting to know them personally, kind of gets that connection with them. And in having that connection, I would hope that then they would feel comfortable reaching out to me if there is a problem and in any way which I can help. So that, that it becomes more um, of a collaborative type of relationship. I think that that's really important to establish there that I'm not there to check up on them. I'm there to see how things are going. How can we help? do we build a collaboration with somebody else? Is there someone else that I have worked with previously who might be able to help? That's something that I think is important.
0: Mm-hmm. And let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your interview um, with Elena Icoa. Uh, she's been on the podcast before. Um, maybe you can just give a brief description of what their grant proposal was about? What their project was looking at?
1: Yeah, so the project was looking at um, heart valves and what happens over time for some people, these valves start to calcify, the calcium deposits build up and there's no cure for it other than having uh, open-heart surgery and having the valve replaced. And so her research has been into building a model in which you can test different drugs, targets, in terms of being able to either slow down or reverse that process. Um, And that's essentially what uh, she was funded to do is is to look at building up this 3D model. And as her uh, collaborator, her postdoc, Mark, Indicates in the in the interview that we had, you know, it's sort of that three D printing organ on a chip type of project that they did.
0: Cool. And um, in the interview, they talked about how they used some of the money, and they mentioned that a lot of the money was used uh, for imaging at the Harvard Center for Biomedical Imaging, um, or HCBI. And um, you know, because they have certain microscopes, but they don't have access to really cutting-edge um, resources that are at different parts of Harvard. So, could you talk a little bit about how the or the importance of grant money like this to unlock these resources um, across Harvard?
1: Right, and and. Um... And for that particular project and the other awardees around that opportunity, we had allowed access to HCBI and CNS, which is the Center for scale Studies in the School of Engineering over in at the Harvard campus. And what the money was useful for is that uh, even though there is this thinking of they're being one Harvard. And in, in reality, in terms of funding, those people who are at Partners, Bring On Women's, Beth Israel, if they want to use the HCBI or CNS, they are technically treated as external academic.
0: Users? In or? terms of
1: funding, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, okay. I so they're treated,
0: uh, they're treated as like somebody from BU or northeastern right. would be treated
1: right and and it's, and it's to do with the funding
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so they get a different rate and what we can do is because we are within harvard university we can get these other investigators at the affiliates access to these facilities at an internal rate mm. And that makes a big difference in terms of being able to use it and as a cost saving. And also, um, like you had mentioned that the the cutting edge edge microscopes that they have at HCBI and also CNS, they also have electron microscopes. So in that regard, it's almost sort of game changing, I think.
0: Mm, Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of the, these grants and these projects are, you know, on the, would you say they're more of like the pilot study or they're, I guess what talk a little bit more about, you know, the, like why getting that reduced rate is so important for this type of project Um, where maybe it's a little bit more exploratory or it's like high risk, high reward kind of thing?
1: Definitely. These projects are most definitely in that high risk, high reward. Oftentimes it can be a, a sort of side project or something that would be sort of out of the investigator's field. And so therefore getting funding to start off with may be difficult. And there are oftentimes some kind of proof of concept project because in reality, that's what $50,000 can do is a proof of concept. But, you know, can we build a 3D model and will it be useful?
0: Mm-hmm. At this stage, these projects are, like you said, you know, maybe not at a point where the NIH is going to fund it because there isn't a a treatment or like, I don't know. It isn't the point at which they're gonna get millions of dollars um, from industry or from government. So, um, but they are still uh, a very important research project to, like you said, proof of concept. And in, in Dr. Ikawa's case, Um, to show how these calcifications happen, which, you know, could lead to treatments down the road. Um, But at first it's, I mean, I guess it would be considered basic science, like understanding the mechanisms that these things happen. Um, And because her lab doesn't have a, I don't know how much an electron microscope costs, but um, they don't have this
1: it's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. Right. and it doesn't make sense. For it. For it. <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can't yeah. just like buy one on Amazon and roll it in and plug it in. Right. right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And the it's interesting, the quirks of funding and how even within the same institution, um, there are barriers.
1: I, th- I think oftentimes with these projects that we fund, um, the investigators don't have a track record of ha- having a background in that area of research, mm-hmm. so this funding is important in that respect. In that we can give them that sort of head start, if you will, right? Um, into or kickstart, really into into. Getting that particular project up and running. And then hopefully you know their proof of concept works and and they get enough data out of the um, project in which then they can they can now go to NIH and get more funding and um, mm-hmm. and they can also publish to then establish that track track record. So with Elena, yes, this is her background. But in terms of building the model, it, it, that's the important part, that, that they hadn't been able to get a model established. And so what this allowed was for them to get the model established. And in order to do that, they had to be able to image those, the models. And that's when they got access to HCBI.
0: Right. What was it like getting a chance to talk to them? You know, you've met with them a bunch and followed them through this project. What was it like to interview them about the the grant and their work?
1: It was really great. I haven't spoken to them in probably close to a year, I would say, because their funding ended in February of 2020. And so it was great great to catch up with them and also to find out about their experiences with working with Harvard Catalyst and with me and, um, and how they can reflect on, on that process and how their research has continued on from there. I think that was really interesting. To see how how it's been built on and the opportunities that have arisen from that, you know, relatively small amount of money.
0: Mm-hmm. Was there anything that they talked about that surprised you to learn?
1: I was surprised as it, as to how valuable the meetings were with. Catalyst leadership and having the other awardees present. So everyone was presenting their work to each other and how much they enjoyed that part of it. And also how it also pushed them to think about their research, their project in different ways in in terms of how do we push this forward? How, you know, what else is there that we can do? I, I, I was really surprised How much they thought that was valuable really.
0: So you talked um, with a couple of other grant recipients and we're going to share those episodes in the coming months. Um, Can you talk about what is upcoming?
1: Upcoming are my interviews with Gail Gerber who was part of the microbiome set of awardees and His was primarily a project that was machine learning, and machine learning in terms of is there a way to predict who will get a reoccurrence of a c difficile infection? Which, if people don't know already, that the c difficile is a is a bacterium that. Primarily you you would get infected by it in, in a hospital and it is an absolutely terrible gastrointestinal pathogen. It's essentially the worst diarrhea you've had in your life and probably several fold worse than that. And so as Georg mentions, the only way to treat it is by these very strong antibiotics. And so it goes away and what can happen is it it comes back again. And so now they, these poor people have had it, they now have to go through it again and again. And so Georg's project was basically saying, okay, is there a way of looking at um, the metabolites that are found in the people with acetyl infection versus healthy individuals is there a way to predict the differences between them?
0: Mm. So to predict, predict who will your, get yeah. recurrent infection?
1: Yeah. Is there a way? Is it mm-hmm. possible to do that? Mm-hmm. And um, he has built a model and it's open source. It's released to anyone who would like to use it. And he mentions that it, it was really important for him to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That so the that other people can maybe build on it and use the algorithm and, and improve it.
0: And um, wait, was there another interview you did too?
1: Yes. So I also interviewed Kate Jeffrey. She's an associate professor at Mass General Hospital. And she explains it in her interview that her research projects were mainly based on epigenetics. This project was something that she was interested in looking at, you know, is there a way again to see if there are differences in the viruses that are present in those individuals who have like inflammatory bowel disease or Crohn's disease or colitis versus others and which of these viruses may be contributed to those diseases. and She's an immunologist by training. And so this was a way, this project and this funding was a way for her to get started in that field and of what she describes as the virome. So, you know, the Mm -hmm. microbiome has been well studied over the past 20 years. Now it's sort of looking into the virome. How do viruses modulate certain diseases as well? The result of this grant and the grant and the, the results that she's been seeing and and, I'm guessing other work, that she has, become now somewhat of an expert in her field,
0: in the virome.
1: Yeah. Yes. Hmm. In that respect, her career has is has really, taken off. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> my
0: opinion <laughs> okay well that's great and this so it speaks again to the importance of these grants to give people the opportunity to study something that's outside of their normal field or try and validate a new model that has some promise but hasn't been tested so that's great well thank you hardeep and uh, we look forward to hearing those interviews
1: thanks brendan
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch.